The following content is not suitable for children and includes topics of masturbation, sexual trauma, and pedophilia. Please take proper precautions as needed and listen with self-care. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I'm your co-host Agnes. And I'm Margaret. And we both created this space um, just for both of us to kind of come together and share our lived experiences on topics of spirituality, religious trauma, feminism, family dynamics, and all that good stuff. Today we have kind of a heavy episode. Um, Agnes, we recorded this probably a couple weeks ago now. And I don't know, what's, what's your thought? So we talked a lot about religious trauma. What was your experience recording this episode? So my experience really was kind of digging into the roots of why I do experience such trauma from the religious background that we have. It was really kind of going back and seeking this, you know, person that I used to be in this whole different environment and really bringing that to light. Um, we talk about a lot of deep things that honestly, I never really thought about until the day that we recorded this. Yeah, that's something I really loved about this episode is we, you know, we obviously had a few notes that we were we referred to, there were certain things that we definitely wanted to touch on in the in the discussion, but we really just hit record. And we just dove right in. We just really got into some deep shit, like right out the gate. And just to let our audience know, this actually is a really long episode, so we had to ultimately break it up into two parts. So everybody is going to be hearing just the first half of that discussion today, and then we will be releasing a part two in the near future. But I am kind of in the same boat. I feel like we really had to go back in time. Um, For me, I felt in certain moments of the episode, like I was having some very strong physical reactions like I was there was parts where I was like kind of shaking I felt really cold I got sweats like I was going through some stuff like literally going back in time and reliving some of those moments yeah this was a very intense episode so just some things to be careful of to all the listeners definitely um, listen with caution and take care of yourselves in the process and if you like today's episode go ahead and share this with any friends who you feel like would benefit just from the little bit of knowledge that we have. Um, And go ahead and listen to our trailer episode if you're unfamiliar with who we are and our background. And we hope that you guys really enjoy today's episode. Um, I think this episode really means a lot to both of us. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? Good. I had to ask you, though, are you drinking your black tea? I am actually drinking oolong tea oh because <laughs> Sprouts was out of my black tea. But you know what? It's actually really good. You know, I've got my honey and my clove in it. It's amazing. But, you know, I had to uh, bring my tea today because we are going to spill it. Hell yeah. And just so everyone can know, I can see Margaret right now on FaceTime and she's like always sipping her iced tea. <laughs> And it's always like with honey and clove. Like she's so bougie. Oh, yeah. I know. (laughs) All right. Well, I mean, I should have brought alcohol to this conversation. Oh, my God. 
Okay, so we are talking about religious trauma today, and this is just the beginning of heavy, many conversations to come. Heavy shit. Heavy shit, yes. So <laughs> to start off, for anyone that's new to our podcast, um, please be sure to check out our introduction episode if you have not already to get a little bit more in-depth background on who we are. But just to kind of refresh people's memories, so uh, I'm Margaret, this is my sister Agnes, we are both co-hosts of Unrefined Women, and we both come from a large Catholic family. And when I say Catholic, I don't just mean like you go to church on Sunday, have like your little social group, go home, live your life. No, like we were indoctrinated into like a cult sector of the old Latin traditional Roman Catholic church. So this was nothing casual. We were immersed in this every moment of our lives for our entire childhood. Um, I mean, lived and breathed uh, like the old Latin, old traditional Catholicism. <clears throat> so we are going to be talking about some of our experiences growing up and also some of the lessons and wisdom that we have gained as a result along the way. And of course, you know, I know for myself, Agnes, that like I, I, at this point in my life, I recognize and accept that I'm going to spend the rest of my life healing from the trauma mm. that we experienced, unpacking this, learning from this. It's a, it's a lifelong journey. And, you know, I've accepted it at this point. I'm okay with it. But, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's just, yeah, this is, sure. this is like where we are right now, mm -hmm. you know, but I think this is just an evolving conversation that we're going to continue having because there's so much here. Yes. Yes. Um, and then to kind of start us off, I did find, um, so the term religious trauma is original, uh, it's originated by Marlene Win Winnell. Um, in 2011, so this uh, psychologist and author, um, they created the term religious trauma uh, syndrome, which is basically everything that we're talking about here. And it's basically the lifelong effects of how growing up in these religions, religious situations um, or cults or whatever, how that can affect you for the rest of your life kind of. Um, similar to PTSD. So um, I did get that information from elonnewsnetwork.com. Um, and then I also wanted to give a definition of trauma, um, which is from Google Dictionary. And trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. Uh, so I can agree that that was a little bit of what my childhood was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. As we laugh. There's monsters under <laughs> my bed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, th this, um, I mean, I guess we should kind of share our stories, right? Like how it kind of, like, what are your first, like, memories of religious trauma? Like what kind of, like now when you're looking back, what was kind of like the slap in the face of it? Oh, oh my gosh. See, this is a hard, like no one, Agnes, no one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> this, oh, that's a hard question because again, we have, we were so immersed in Catholicism from the beginning 
So I'm trying to think of like a, a like a early memory. I have a few early memories that are just kind of like seared into my brain. Um, I don't know how old I was, but um, <clears throat> they're they're heavy shit. So I'm kind of like, oh god, I guess we're just diving right in. <laughs> um, okay, uh, a memory that I have that's pretty early on. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess I was maybe five years old. Um, Oh, guys, here we go. <laughs> um, I um, I have an I have a memory from being about five years old. Probably, I'm just I'm just estimating from uh, just remember remembering my bedroom, the house we were in at the time. Agnes, this was way before you were born, mm-hmm. <laughs> and <clears throat> it was nighttime, and I was going to bed, and I remember mom and dad walking in the room, and I was masturbating, and. You know, again, like, yeah, I was five. I don't know how old I was when I discovered that. And so I, I mean, I've, I've been doing that for as long as I can remember. And, you know, I didn't know what it was when you're like five. Mm. You just know that when I touch here, it feels good. You know, yeah. there's you don't have it's not you don't know what sexuality is or sex or sexual desire. Like you don't your brain's not developed enough to know what that is. <clears throat> So you don't connect the feeling with some sexual thing. It just feels good. And I know now, looking back, um, and I've had this conversation with friends about this. Apparently, it's actually not super uncommon for girls to discover masturbation at a really young age, first of all. Second of all, um, through conversations with other women that were also raised in families similar to ours, sometimes children that grow up in an environment where their basic needs are not being met, they're not, um, they're not being taught how to self-regulate themselves. The adults are not um, helping the child to self-regulate themselves. Sometimes they will, the child will find ways to self-soothe because there's no other option. And that can be masturbation. So anyway, you know, to set the scene, I'm like, approximately five years old it's late you know it's nighttime I'm going to sleep and I was doing this and mom and dad walked in the room and I mean I feel the shame and humiliation like right now just talking about it like I relive it every time I go there it's just like overwhelming because of their response and their response was they like gasped in horror and come running to the bed and like yanked me out of the bed, like sat me up violently and crouched down and they were both screaming in my face, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I was like, probably one of the most terrifying moments of my life. I remember being completely paralyzed, um, like frozen. I, I remember trying to open my mouth and like words couldn't come. Like I was just not even shaking. I was past shaking. I was frozen in terror because of their response. And they started screaming at me. Like they kept at, they kept screaming, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I could not respond. And then they started telling me, you know, that I was sinning. I was going to go to hell, how evil this was, that I was touching myself, um, that I could never touch my body. And that's really all I remember. I have no idea what happened after that, but I just know from that moment on, 
anything involving that part of my body was just so off limits, was so taboo, was so evil, so sinister. Um, it just, yeah. And I'm 30 years old and I'm still recovering from that shit. Yeah. Well, I have chills so, right now hearing that. Yeah, that's honestly a hard thing to kind of relive. But that is one of my earliest memories of just like religious trauma and just like you're raised as a girl that you can't even touch your own body that you have these parts of your body that you cannot even touch but but it's okay because one day you're gonna grow up and marry a good catholic man and he can touch your body there but you can't touch your body there because that is a mortal sin and he can touch your body there regardless of your consent. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That this other person, that this man, he has more say over your own body than you do. I'm mad. <laughs> this makes I am me too. angry. <laughs> wow, this conversation. We should start a riot. Welcome to Unrefined Women. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> wow all right Agnes your turn I need to calm my nerves now what are well now I what is your what is what are some of your earliest memory or memories of religious trauma my earliest memories of religious trauma is around my sexuality um uh, in our trailer episode, you know, I introduce myself as a bisexual woman. I do. I am married to a male, but I do identify as that um, for my sexual orientation. And I've always known that I was bisexual since I was very, very young. I mean, since I could remember, it was just always a part of me. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people have had experience um, being in that in the gay community and being also from a religious background. So obviously not even going to get into that. I'm sure you can understand what it was like. Um, but I kind of had a similar experience with you. Um, I think it's a little too painful for me to really go into it, but, um, there was an experience where I was around 10 years old and I somehow got caught kissing one of my neighbors who was also female And it was, you know, we were just, you know what I mean? Just children. We were experimenting and it was, you know, it all came out and it was just this whole dramatic thing. And I remember feeling probably very similar feelings of shame as you did. And it was like, see, it's not just like shame, embarrassment, like, oh, I peed my pants, like I'm embarrassed, but it, it is like like the feeling of hating yourself almost right and it's just like in this moment like I know that I did what I wanted to do and what I did felt right to me but now that this information about me is exposed I hate myself for doing that not only to me not like not only am I uncomfortable but now I have made everyone, ar- everyone else around me uncomfortable. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> because I remember my mom's reaction 
was being uncomfortable. A, a lot of my, a lot of, you know, we're from a big family, so shit gets around real fast. And it's such an uncomfortable thing when you catch your child doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. Oh, okay, there's two really big things that I took from that. And the first one that I that really hit me was, you know, you're at a young formative age being shamed um, out of something that feels natural and authentic to you. Mm-hmm. You are getting the messaging that that your desires are sinful and wrong. And when you're a young age like that, and especially I think in the way that it was presented to us, is it's really easy to go from my desire or my thought or my action or my word, whatever it is, is sinful and wrong. Therefore, I am sinful and wrong. I am despicable. There's something wrong with me. Yes. Because that that's how it was presented to us as children. So... The second thing that I heard from that was, um, you know, you you got in trouble, okay, for kissing another girl, and that discipline came from other people's discomfort. So what is this, what message is this sending to girls and women in religious cultures when you get called out and get in trouble because you have made other people uncomfortable. What is this sending to the girls? That our authenticity, that our desire is less important than making everybody else uncomfortable. It is the woman's job then to sacrifice herself, sacrifice what she needs to make everybody else comfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that this kind of leads into the whole topic of modesty because um, I'm sure different sections of different religions, you know, believe different things around this topic of modesty. Oh, but absolutely, in, yeah. In our um, section f- group of <laughs> Catholicism, it was always taught to me that as a woman, you had to be modest. And, you know, present yourself in a certain way. You cannot be too flirtatious, but you had to be pretty, but you had, you know, you know just all, all the bullshit. But if a man looked, so if a man looks at me, right, and my, my, my shirt's loose and it's low or whatever, and he is aroused or attracted by me, then that sin is automatically mine. Because I knew that this would be the consequence when I put on those clothes or when I acted the way that I acted. So the woman is then responsible for the man's sin. Because in these religions, women are, you know, they cause all these issues. I remember being grown up and my dad used to tell me that the reason why women are such bitches and such this and this is because Eve was the one who ate the apple first. So it's this whole cycle that is rooted in these religions that from, from the book of Genesis that they have interpreted 
that Eve's mistakes are why the entire world is the way that it is in all the bad ways is because it's the woman's fault. (laughs) Well, and you know what? And and when you said Eve's mistakes too, let's think about what that mistake was that she ate from the, the tree of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Tree of life. (laughs) How dare dare us women try to obtain any knowledge right from the book of Genesis. What's so funny (laughs) is that I remember learning that that, Eve biting the apple, not that it really matters, but Eve biting the apple wasn't what caused original sin, but it was because Adam bit the apple after, right? Yeah. She tempted Adam into biting the apple. So here we are as women in our provocative clothing, tempting the men. And (laughs) something else, something that I was told to me as well. So not only is it, you know, if a woman wears immodest clothing, whatever the fuck that means, everyone's got a different definition of that. But you wear something that arouses uh, a boy or even a man. Because whatever. Yeah. A male. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's your sin. But I was also taught it's double the sin. Because it's you have your sin for dressing immodestly. And you're also taking on the responsibility of the sin that this boy or man is having from being aroused. So it's like double fucked up you know this makes me laugh because if all this is really true and we die and there's the whole judgment day that means that hell is just filled with women and heaven is just filled with men i'm like you know what i'd rather go to hell i'd rather be with all the women (laughs) (laughs) we'll burn with the witches it's cool yeah it's all good but you know what and this ties into patriarchy because yet again you have this patriarchal structure set up, okay, where men get to do, get away with whatever the fuck they want because there's always a scapegoat female that can take the fall. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good time for me to say my definition of modesty that made Ooh, steam come out of my ears. you got the definitions today. <laughs> okay, so definition of modesty from Google Dictionary. Google's my best friend. The quality of being relatively moderate, limited, or small in amount, rates, or level. (laughs) What? (laughs) Wait, whoa, hold on. Agnes, read that again. Okay. The definition of modesty is the quality of being relatively moderate, limited, or small in amount, rate, or level. Holy shit. It is a quality, you guys, that I am small and limited. And well, the, so this this uh, this whole definition was not specifically towards the whole concept of modesty, like a, a religious view. It was just a Google dictionary. But I remember, you know, I, I saw this definition. And from my experience, that is exactly what the definition is from my upbringing that's how I was treated whenever the topic of being modest um you know was brought up wow I mean I'm kind of stunned hearing about you know that the definition is to is to be small and limited but at the same time it I'm stunned hearing it but at the same time I'm also not surprised you know, because yeah, 
the messaging we got or you know was that i mean we're 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 taught that in so many ways not only like just dress wise like you know not only physically are we supposed to be making ourselves limited and small but just energetically right energetically we're supposed to take up space we're supposed to talk softer there's just there's, it, it, on every layer, we're expected yeah. to be modest. We're meant to be passive. We're meant to be mm-hmm. graceful and nice. Oh, I hate that word, I nice. Know. That's why I said <laughs> it. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. Nice to me. J- okay. I hate the word nice because nice means, just, just sidetrack here for a second, nice means that you know, regardless of what you feel inside, you just smile, you just push down everything you're feeling and you just smile and you're just nice to people. It's not genuine. It's not real. Kindness, on the other on the other hand, I love the word kind. Kindness means that you show up authentically. You bring your full self to the table. You are empathetic, you're compassionate, you're respectful of other people, but not to the point that you um, inhibit yourself, you bring you still you still bring your authentic self to the table. You st- are you are honest. Honesty is kindness. Clarity is kindness. So you speak the truth. Truth is kindness. So yes, I think that yeah, the religion really puts um, this expectation of women to to smile and be nice, be pretty, be sweet, be nice, be graceful be accommodating be selfless all of these things and yes it, and it just starts from the beginning with how we're even allowed to dress our own bodies yes and just a little backstory and I'm I repeatedly like bring this up um, but my experience going to um, Catholic high school I was not expelled but quote-unquote politely asked to resign from the school I don't know Um, because, and their reasoning was quote unquote, I didn't have the right personality. So if you know me, I'm, I can be very loud and very obnoxious and, and very, uh, honest and opinionated. Um, as you should, as it, yeah. And (laughs) not even like that, like crazy, like, you know, I've met people that are like a lot on, like on, on other fucking levels, but I was in the situation where I was surrounded by people where we had to be quote unquote modest, not just in our clothing, but in our personalities. Well, I was the complete opposite. I was the loud friend. I was the loud opinionated. I would ask contradictory questions in religion class and, um, talk to the boys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so scandalous. scandalous. (laughs) Uh, my ankles are showing. (laughs) Um, and so, and then they, they turned it around and said that I didn't have the right personality because, you know, my personality wasn't feminine enough or modest enough for them. Therefore, Mm. I don't, I don't deserve a space to be seen or heard by my peers. Mm. And yet again another message that you must make yourself small you must suppress your authenticity and suppress your desire to make everybody else around you comfortable 
Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So modesty. And I kind of want to get into like, let's talk about um, the some of the rules around modesty that we were expected to adhere to as kids. Now, okay, keep in mind, you and I have an 11-year age gap, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm 30 now, you're 19. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were kind of raised on in different generations, in two different generations within the same family. Uh, I'm the oldest, you are number seven of nine children. So um, we probably had a little bit of different experiences in this way, so I love to chat about that. Um, I know for myself... Um, you know, my all the way through until I was adulthood and could actually start choosing what I wanted to wear, I had to wear skirts that covered the knees, like covered the knees when I was sitting too. So in, in real life, it was more really? like calf. Yes. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I, mine did not <laughs> have to cover my knees. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. That's, that's traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to wear skirts that, yeah, covered my knees while sitting. So that means while I was standing, it had to be about mid-calf length. Um, so yes, my ankles could show, but not much else. <laughs> um, I had to have, uh, there was that whole t- two-finger rule. Did you get that? The two-finger oh, rule? Yeah. Where yeah, where your shirt cannot be lower than two fingers below the pit of the neck. And I don't mean like, like uh, vertical fingers. I mean two fingers horizontally, like together just below the pit of the neck that was that was the lowest your shirt could go um and you had to have sleeves and you could not wear anything form-fitting uh god forbid anyone know that you had a butt i mean catholic everyone fyi catholic girls don't have butts not real we, we don't have that on our bodies just and FYI. you know if you naturally <laughs> if you naturally have a big badonkadonk <laughs> and you're wearing a loose skirt but obviously you know shape body has shapes then you were automatically shamed for it and people would talk shit about you or fat shame you um because mm-hmm. you're not small enough you, even if you're yep. wearing an a, like a triple xl skirt or whatever um or you know big boobs like god forbid like you can see the shape of them like you know mm-hmm yeah, and then of course in church you had to cover your heads. Women had to cover their head in church. Um, your hair cannot show because apparently your hair contempt boys can't be showing that. <laughs> oh so God. these, yeah, so this these are the things that I had to wear from as long as I can remember, a toddler all the way till I was eighteen years old. Now of course when I was like sixteen, seventeen, I pushed the rules a little bit. I was a teenager, <laughs> you know, I, it, it was very humiliating. Um, I certainly would, uh, you know, leave the house and have something else a little bit more modern underneath my clothes <laughs> that I would take off, you know? <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, pretty much my entire life until I was an adult, this is the shit I had to wear. So, and then we're taught as well. I was taught that modesty is a virtue. It is virtuous. It is good. It is a sign of spiritual health for a woman to embrace modesty. So for me, you know, it's just, I want to talk a little bit more about this after I, after I hear your side as well, but just with, um, with clothing, you know, 
modesty is a virtue and so basically denying what I felt to be my genuine self had to be suppressed so that I could be this virtuous woman yeah so and it, so oh I ahead. recently was reading um some articles too about uh religious trauma in general and the same thing goes to um with sexuality so a lot of people from the gay community when they come from a religious background it's this question of uh am I uh unauthentic so that I can it be worthy of God or do I be authentic and go to hell? Mm. And when that message is put into a child's brain, oh, yeah. I mean, the damage, the psychological damage. Yeah. Yeah. So, Agnes, tell me about what you experienced with <laughs> modesty. What did you have to wear growing <sighs> up? <laughs> okay. Well. Um, a similar thing, except by the time it got down to number seven and, you know, my older sister, two years older than me, uh, we were always wearing hand-me-downs. So I was always wearing your hand-me-downs, Margaret. <laughs> um, also oh. our family was very, very low income. Um, I'm sure you can imagine with nine children. <laughs> yes. And a stay at home mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, that it was, it was really hard financially for us, but we never, I never got like a new dress or a new pair of shoes. Everything was hand-me-down. Um, side note, to the point where I'd wear flip-flops into the middle of winter in the Midwest because we couldn't, like, there were no funds to buy shoes. Anyways, um, so I would wow. always wear uh, dresses but they it wasn't like so strict to the point where like it had to be like covered because at that point my mom's like as long as you're wearing a dress and dad doesn't see you wear something like outrageous because everything is about my dad you know don't let dad see you wear that because he'll be mad um and I love how I love how by the time it got to you by that point mom just didn't give a shit anymore it was like yeah. she was enforcing the rule just to get dad to shut the fuck up oh yeah and <laughs> it's like no I, I would definitely like wear pajamas like my pajama pants like all morning and then like when dad would come home in the afternoon it was like mom would be like run upstairs and put a dress on <laughs> so um yeah it was definitely more so of just like appeasing my father just to like wear a dress um but it was humiliating because um and I know this affected um some of my other siblings that were older even worse um, but you know, being in, I went to private school for, uh, like kindergarten through third grade. Um, and I'm talking like stuck up rich, like modern Catholic girls, like they were not nice. And so they'd have like dress down days, um, and every, and like the dress codes were like jeans, t-shirt and tennis shoes. Well, I would show up and I would have to wear like a dress and like ballet flats. And every time I would get dress coded, the teacher would pull me to her desk and literally chew <gasps> me out. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. Wait, I didn't know this. Oh, it was you horrible. You got dress coded? I got dress coded all the time. <gasps> Not even because I was immodest, but I it's because like for dress down day at the school, they wanted you to wear like jeans and a t-shirt and like tennis shoes or whatever because it was like like the clothes week, that we were know. not allowed to wear that yeah. we didn't even we didn't even own we didn't i even remember own jeans. going to school just in tears like it was like the pure feeling of shame and embarrassment oh. and it's like none of the girls at this or 
I say girls because you know girls are definitely a lot more mean sometimes um (laughs) yeah I was that kid in elementary school that was only friends with boys but (laughs) and high school but basically like I would go and the teacher would like dress code me in front of the entire fucking class and it was so humiliating but there was nothing I could do about it it was just like I'm so sorry my mom wanted me to wear this and then they would like let it go like nothing would happen but it's so embarrassing like going to school and wearing like a dress and like standing out and everyone's staring at you and like laughing at you so you know and my clothes are like literal rags like holes in them like <laughs> fraying at the hems like it was bad oh, like I, I should I know, you're like photos. wearing my my stuff you know my clothes that I had yeah. worn 11 years prior yeah oh my god <laughs> it was terrible and then so by the time I got to like 12 like 12 years old my sister Cecilia and I we had like a little bit more freedom my sister had a job so she would like save up her money and we like went to the mall and we went to like this American Eagle I don't know and bought like bootcut jeans <laughs> I don't even know oh, like so I remember scandalous. like yeah. I thought they were like the nicest thing I ever owned and my mom didn't really like care like she's like just don't wear them in front of your dad um and then things progressed from there <laughs> Yeah, um, I definitely dealt with similar things when I was in high school, but that was that's just kind of the whatever bullshit, you know. Yeah, it you know, it's interesting, too, that you bring up about how the girls were in the Catholic school that you went to, because I never went to Catholic school. I was homeschooled all the way through. Yeah. But, um, you know, I had similar kind of interactions as well, you know, with other um, social uh, social situations like there was um, a few years that I went to summer camp and it was like a, a Catholic summer camp but again you were talking more modern Catholicism so most of the people were you know Catholic on Sunday and then live their lives the rest of the week so um, I, you know I had experiences like that as well where you know you, you're at summer camp in the middle of July it's hot outside all the girls have their flip-flops and jean shorts and tank tops and here's me showing up in my Amish dress. And I say Amish because literally all the girls in that camp thought I was Amish. I was asked every single day of summer camp every year, are you Amish? Like, do you, does your family uh, ride in a boogie pulled by horses? Do you have electricity? Do you have running water in your house? These are the questions I would get asked based on what I had to wear. Um, and so it's just exhausting. Like, I, I just feel like I have to name the level of mental exhaustion that, that, that I, and I know many other women, have to go through every single day because the, you have this list of all the, all this rule, this rule book of what you can and can't wear. So you, every day you have to be very conscious of, am I following all the rules? Am I checking all the boxes of what I'm allowed to wear to be this virtuous, godly, modest woman? Um, and then you have to deal with uh, the society around you um, <laughs> having questions and, and passing judgment and making remarks about what you look like. I mean, that's exhausting, too. So you, you're getting judged either way. You're getting judged. You're making people uncomfortable no matter what. You dress in modestly. You make the people in your church, um, in your family, in your inner circle uncomfortable. Um, but then if you 
dress the way you're supposed to, according to the religion, you check all the boxes, you make everyone else in society comfortable, and then you're hounded with all of these questions and these judgments, and people assume what kind of person you are and, and what your background is. So it's just, you can't win. It's exhausting. Yeah. I can definitely feel that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's definitely like a shame in a lot of the times. Like, so like in the moment, like when whether I was in like elementary school or whenever, and I was in these like moments where people are questioning me and, you know, I don't want to say like bullying me about it because like I can understand that sometimes it's confusing. Um, you feel so powerless because it's something that you have absolutely no control over. And mm-hmm. kind of what I love now about the generation coming up and what I see with like my nieces and my nephews is that kids now, like, there's so much more like advocacy for kids choosing what they want from the food that they eat to the clothes they wear to whatever, you know? And I just know for myself, like, if I ever became a parent, like, my child's wearing a tutu and a bikini top. I, I'm just kidding. But, like, you know, like, whatever the fuck they want. Your child's going to wear whatever the fuck he, she, or they want to wear. <laughs> exactly. Because it's humiliating not having the the power. And I know that, like, your human body is just a human body. Like, just a meat sack, whatever. But it's – you're so – it affects you so much more when you're a child. Like when you're a child, your body is the center of your universe. Like your what you're wearing says a lot about you, how you feel, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's horrible. And, you know, I was kind of reflecting on this the other day because um, obviously I try not to be judgmental or let any of my traumas uh, affect my judgment on other people. So, like, when I'm in public and I see someone wearing a long dress, not not in, like, a, a, a summary dress way, but in a way, that like, where you knew that they were from a conservative background, like, the long jean skirts, like, that's what mm. I almost get, like, a bitter taste in my mouth whenever I see that. And sometimes I'm like, who cares? Like, stop. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, it's their choice. Like, we, like is 2021 we don't care about what other people wear but whenever I see that I feel all these feelings come up of not having control over what I'm wearing or just the shame of all of that it like comes up when I see like a mom with like all of her little girls and all of her little girls are wearing like hand-me-down like mopping dresses like I I gen and I don't want to sound like a piece of shit that's like out here judging other people like out in public but it genuinely makes you feel so bad like it sounds like it really triggers you you yeah it just brings up like a lot of memories like very uh memories of like a loss of control you know yeah and I feel like it's one thing like when it's an adult like it's one thing like okay, okay whatever but it's when I see the children and the, the teenagers mm. even. I mean, I know I'm still a teenager, but it's like it, I just see that. And I, I've been surrounded not only with myself, but I've been surrounded by people that have had to live this lifestyle. And being in high school, um, by the time I was at that point, I was wearing whatever the fuck I wanted outside of school. 
But when I was with my school friends and we would like go out to like get ice cream or whatever after school, we would all have to wear or conform to this modest lifestyle. Um, And then that was, again, like me not having any control over what I wanted to wear because I, you know, if I wanted to hang out with my friends, I had to dress the way that they dressed so that I didn't make anyone uncomfortable. Mm. Wow. I knew in high school you were able to like wear more of what you wanted, you know, because by that point, mom had left dad, you know, and was single mom in it with you guys. And so you had more freedom to wear what you wanted. But I didn't realize that when you hung out with your friends from school, you still had to conform to those like gender norms of what a woman's supposed to look like. Wow. Yeah. And I remember when I left Arizona, when I had left the school, um, I had to donate so much clothes, so many clothes because they were all like dresses and clothes that I only owned not be not because I like them um (laughs) but because I had to wear them to like you know to hang out with my friends and something else that just reminds me um the school that I went to not everyone there was shitty I did have great memories there but I remember my first year there it was Christmas and my sister and I we were the new kids we didn't really know how to dress properly, quote unquote, properly. Um, for Christmas, <laughs> someone anonymously gave us as a present, each of us, it was like $200 gift cards to like Sears or something, which blessed, like, like that is so grateful. Like, I'm so grateful for that. Like, that's such a great thing to like, especially since everyone knew that we were like a low income family. Um, but now I'm thinking back, I'm like this, whoever, I don't know who donated it or gave it to us, but this person, it was probably like a priest was like, these girls are whores. I need to give them money. <laughs> I need to give so them money. So they can money. buy proper yeah. Catholic clothing. And oh. I remember Martina, Martina's one of, one of our sisters. She, um, at that time was working at that school too, um, as like a teacher's aide. And she was, she knew who gave us the gift or whatever and she's like okay well I'm taking you to the you know to the mall but these clothes are are specifically for church clothes it says right here for church clothes so I remember we oh I mean it was like it was fine because at least at that point like I got to choose what I wanted like like you know obviously it's a struggle finding the 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 boxes yeah but at at least I had like wiggle room like I could actually like choose what I wanted to wear but anyways (laughs) Oh, jeez. <laughs> Controlling comes in many forms, including generosity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn. That's a quote right Facts. there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think I think we touched a little bit on patriarchy, too, but you've got these modesty rules. And who does this really benefit at the end of the day? Men. Men, of course. So, um... You know, something, something else, this is something, this was another message that was told to me through our parents um, and through books and resources that they gave to me. Um, and that was, this, this was really, this was really something. <laughs> I was taught that women who dress modestly are more respected than women Ugh. who don't. 
Okay. Oh All right. God. So I was constantly taught this. If you want to be a woman who is valued and respected, um, you have to dress modestly. All right. But my question is, how is it that women have to dress a certain way to be respected um, without questioning why men have the authority to decide which women deserve respect or not? Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't even like comprehend that right now. Can you please repeat that? Because we just need to <laughs> absorb that. <laughs> Yeah, so women are taught that to be respected, they must dress modestly, okay? And, and this mm-hmm. is messaging mostly coming from men and male sources, all right? But why is it that we just take this in, this message that to be respected, we have to dress modestly? Why do we take this in, this information, without questioning who gave men the authority to decide which women deserve to be respected over others? Wow. And that really proves how the chain of women's issues and inequalities just continuously circle back to men in authority. Mm-hmm. It, it, will, it, it will always continue back to this place. Um, and, you know, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to think about it because, you know, both you and I are both in you know serious relationships with men and it's like it's and you know you could sit there and be like oh not all men but there's I know there's beef around that term um but mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of beef right now on TikTok over that term. oh I know some people I saw this video and this girl was like yeah it is every fucking man <laughs> I was like okay <laughs> I'm like hey she had facts but um it's you know I was surrounded by a lot of questionable men in authority, whether it was my father or my father's friends or the priests that I was surrounded by. Um, I've met some like cool priests. Like I've met some priests that they're they're pretty dope. Like I could chill with them, but like, (laughs) you know, you, you get what What, I'm like like, two, like two of them. Yeah. Like (laughs) literally actually, no, you're right. Like actually two. (laughs) (laughs) um but you know every time I'm around like a one of those priests or just men I feel so fucking uncomfortable like is it just me no because I'm like don't look at me like (laughs) because because literally it's like when when you have been sexualized by men from the time you were a young girl by being told what you can and can't wear, you can't touch your body, you can't all these things, okay? When you've got men telling you what you can and can't do with your body from the time that you are I mean, really fetuses, but you know, like oh they God. find out your your sex, you know. But you know, when you're taught that and you're you're essentially sexualized because because you are sexualized when you are a young girl and you have men that are telling you that you can't wear certain things because they will get aroused. That is sexualizing children. That is predatory behavior. All right. And so when you have been objectified by these men your entire life, I would be concerned, Agnes, if you weren't uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a TikTok and this girl was saying, 
why is it that my, me and my father this this had no religious context but she was saying why is it that when I was younger me and my father were so close and you know I was daddy's little girl but as soon as I like got into middle school and high school he's just mean to me and never talks to me anymore and I think someone like stitched it or like do edit it and she was like the reason why this is a continuous thing for men or fathers to become distant with their daughters once they hit puberty is because at that point they start to view their daughters um, not as a human but as a sexual object because they're so conditioned to believe that women of any relation is purely there as a sexual object holy shit that shit gave me chills wow Holy shit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. And you're questioning why you feel uncomfortable around men, especially men that are are still adhering to religious institutions. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's just that's deep. I mean, yeah. I and that, I've that tick I mean, what you just said is familiar too. I'm pretty sure I've seen the same TikTok. Yeah. Um but I'm just I'm very grateful that these conversations are just starting to become more mainstream. We're mm-hmm. starting to see it more on these social media platforms. I mean, even religious trauma, that term, you know, you said it's from 2011. That's really recent. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, 10, 10 years. But in the grand scheme of things, that's very recent. But I mean, God, what a relief that this is becoming more common. And women are finally um, feeling empowered enough to be able to actually start talking about it. Hey folks, that concludes the end of Purity, Culture, and Sexuality Part 1. Please stay tuned for Part 2 coming out next week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username Unrefined Woman, and on Instagram at Unrefined Woman Podcast. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.